0: How many New Year's resolution people do we have this morning? Like, who sets New Year's resolutions? That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> okay, just for the record, I'm, like, really nervous right now. I don't know why. So the more you participate, well, actually, I do know why. I can think of a couple reasons why. But <laughs> the more you guys participate, the better it be for all of us. So who here, you can laugh at me. It's fine. You can clap. You can do whatever you want, holler, disagree, whatever. No, don't, oh, don't clap for me. I haven't done anything yet. But uh, who here sets New Year's resolutions? Let's see, shy people. Wow, that's weird. How many of you guys, sorry, how many of you guys actually keep your New Year's resolutions? You guys can get out. <laughs> My mother-in-law, get out. <laughs> Just kidding, stay there. But it's, man, I don't know why I kind of fall on the sarcastic, cynical side of New Year's. And I think it's because there's been so many bad New Year's experiences. We put so much weight on this on this time of year, it's like, man, everything's got to change. It's a new year, and if it doesn't change right away, then it's all over <laughs> until next year, and we'll give it another shot. Um, so one of my favorite places to find some, some good sarcasm and cynicism and pessimism is the World Wide Web. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen or heard of the World Wide Web, um, the internets. Um, but it's a good place to find sarcasm. Uh, I don't know if you guys see it or notice it floating around, but there's a thing called e-cards, some e-cards, and there's a lot of them out there. I filtered through some of the uh, not-so-appropriate ones for church, but I brought some of them for you this morning that explain kind of how I feel. Maybe you'll connect with it as well. I can't believe it's been a year since I didn't become a better person. (laughs) I love these cards so much. What's the next one you got on there? My New Year's resolution, I'll probably keep it at 1280 by 1024 like always. Thanks for asking. Always a smaller group of laughter for the, the uh, people that understand what that means. What's the next one? Gaining 20 pounds over the holidays makes your New Year's resolution of losing 10 less impressive. <laughs> Usually centers around food. Here's the next one for you. I need to start eating more healthy, but first I need to eat all the junk food in the house so it's not there to tempt me anymore. Amen. <clears throat> Last one, my favorite. Thanks for not laughing at my absurdly unattainable New Year's resolutions. <laughs> oh, boy. It's the truth, though, right? For the most part, we lose steam like so quickly, uh, Some, most of us at least. It takes a, a lot of effort and a lot of intentionality to stay focused on the, the goals that we set for ourselves, the destinations we set up for ourselves. We want to lose weight, but there's a bunch of leftover cake and pizza in the fridge from last night's New Year's party. Uh, we want to get up earlier to read and pray, uh, which is a great resolution, but we know that daylight savings time is so close, and we're going to need that extra hour of sleep, so we need to rest up for it, that dreaded spring forward time. I feel like that's like the worst thing the entire year. Everyone gets really, really distraught over that. We want to have a more positive attitude about Tampa sports. And there's, <laughs> there's not, there's not really, they're not really doing anything for us. I mean, I'm, never, I'm not a football guy, and I didn't really understand this until a couple weeks ago, but I've never heard football fans so excited about a team being in last place so they can get next year's first draft pick. Uh, <laughs> amen. Please, Lord, we need you. But I'm not a football guy. I'm a baseball guy, which isn't much better. Uh, for any Rays fans that are in the room, it's going to be kind of any Rays fans, or at least used, used to be Rays fans. <laughs> it's a new team this year, Ty. It's not going to be the same. New manager, new everything. So uh, I'm going to start liking the hockey, so I'll get a team that actually is good. <laughs> we want to use less foul language But as soon as we get on the interstate We get stuck behind the dude doing 55 in the left lane On the interstate <laughs> I'm the only one who uses foul language apparently <clears throat> Scratch that This is the sad reality All these things we want to do are like in direct conflict With <laughs> the world around us And unfortunately I'm the one preaching the new year's message And I get to deliver the bad news to you So I'm sorry Dictionary.com, which is probably one step above Wikipedia, but good nonetheless, um, defines the word resolute as firmly resolved or determined, set in purpose or opinion. It's also characterized by firmness and determination as the temper, spirit, actions, etc. For me, personally, it doesn't take a whole lot for my resolve to kind of disappear, to kind of dissolve, which is kind of a first confession for the morning. You're welcome. Steve is usually very honest and open, so I'll try to do the same. But it doesn't take a lot. Actually, I find a lot of comfort in um, some TV shows that are out. This one's actually canceled, but my friend Hal, Malcolm in the Middle, um, understands exactly what I'm going through. Let me know if you—who's excited about Malcolm in the Middle? (laughs) Watching Malcolm in the Middle and cheers. See if you relate to Hal here. is here this morning. She will tell you that is me, 100%. <laughs> That's my life in a nutshell. In all seriousness, though, does your life feel that way? Like you got these things that you want to do, but there's just so many things to get you off track. I know mine does. It's a struggle to stay focused. It's a constant fight to be resolute. As disciples of Jesus here in this room, we have the ultimate example to follow, someone who is resolute, someone who kept his eyes on the prize and went forward and didn't stop until he got there. One of the coolest things about the Bible that you hopefully have in your hands this morning or on your phone is kind of like the foreshadowing and the prophecies that happen hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. One of the coolest books in the Bible is uh, from the prophet Isaiah, and he actually goes through a lot of different things, and uh, I'm going to try to do a a Steve impression for a second here. We, We talk about how God is over space and time, like he's living in the past, present, and future and I, don't, I can't explain it better than that. That's all I got. That's, what, that's uh, my associate's degree, and <laughs> that's all I can do, my Wikipedia and associate's degree. But we believe that he exists outside of time, that he actually was living in these moments that are recorded 700 years before he appeared on earth, which is astounding. Um, chapter 50 of Isaiah is a really popular section, and it's one that we find the words of Jesus. This is literally 700 years before he actually stepped foot on the planet. So if you have your Bible, Isaiah 50, starting in verse 5. This is Jesus talking. The sovereign Lord had opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. It's a little close to home there. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. How cool is that? I mean, we literally believe as Christians that this happened 700 years before he actually showed up. We believe that God exists outside of time and space, and he's living in the future right now. As Steve would put it, "Ah!" he does it every week. That's the only time I'm ever going to do that. I'm also never going to say jazz, by the way. (laughs) I get very excited, but I don't get jazzed. Um, The key to being resolute is found starting in verse 7 Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. The key to being resolute is being driven by the right motivator, and I would propose that that's a capital M. Jesus knew the end of the story. He knew the beginning of it. He is the author of the story. It kept him from backing down and going all the way to the point of death and resurrection and raising from the grave. It didn't matter what stood in between, all the roadblocks and all the things that he ran into all the conflict He set his face like flint to get to where he was going. He is the author. He knows the end of the story of get if you guys feel like saying amen or if that's like inspiring or you agree with that I, I I encourage you It's good news this morning. I promise what's even cooler Is that not only does god know the end of the story jesus know the end of the story, but we know the end of the story We've already saying it a few times this morning 10,000 reasons was the toward the end of our set Uh, what, what are the words to it? That's it. On that day, see, I know the end of the story. On that day when my strength is failing, the end is near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. I get chills. Yeah, man. I get chills when I get to sing these songs and say these things to you. We sing another one. Beautiful. When we arrive at eternity's shore and death is just a memory and tears are no more. We'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and we'll sing. Yeah, hopefully it'll sound a little better than that. I think it will. One that everybody knows, but we don't sing that often, is uh, uh, Amazing Grace. The last verse of Amazing Grace is so cool. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God pra- God's praise than when we first begun. These guys, these old guys, have a way of saying things that completely just blows my mind. And it's one of the reasons why we insert them into worship. Just chew on that for a second. We know the end of the story. But still we get distracted. We can still, as soon as we walk out of these doors, it's, it's all, over, it's all over for some of us. As soon as we experience life, it's like it just hits us right in the face. The details kind of bog us down, relationships get in the way, and life just happens. We still lose motivation knowing the end. Our goals feel so impossible because the weight of this world just has a way of weighing us down. And everything that we want to do is feels like it's in direct opposition of our culture. What I'm proposing today is that we're missing a big piece of why we, we don't operate the way we should. We spend a lot of time on how as a church culture. Like, how should we do this? How should we do that? We even all agree with what. You know, we're supposed to love God, love people, make disciples, and uh, share Christ. But a lot of times we forget why we're doing the things that we do. And we find out what motivates us. Well, I mean, why... We do things; it makes everything else make so much more sense. It's so important, by the way, that we made it like the very first couple pages of our vision book. Um, if you don't have one of these, I encourage you to go to the info desk after this and check it out. You'll learn out what ma- learns what makes us learn what makes us tick, and uh, just kind of why we do the things we do, why we don't do the things we don't do, um, and what we find is important. But straight from the vision book, page three: Why? Once we understand the why, we find what motivates us. You want to find out what should motivate you? Just ask yourself, why has God put me on the planet? A question I'm sure none of you have ever asked before. Drum roll please now, ladies and gentlemen, the big why. You're designed specifically to glorify God by completing his work on earth. This is exactly what Jesus said to the Father at the end of his life. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And this is exactly what you've been designed for. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I consider my life worth nothing to me, says the Apostle Paul. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. And, of course, the, what, the next the actual question is, what do we do? Our assignment, which everybody that's been in church for long enough knows these four things. Our assignment is to love God, love people, tell others about Christ, and to make disciples. Jesus always had the big why in mind. In page 3, John seventeen four, I've completed your work on earth, the work that you gave me to do. And at that time, he was ready to die and ascend into heaven, but not until then. He showed us the difference between having resolutions and actually being resolute, living a life of resolve. Everything Jesus did was driven by being resolute. He never lost sight of the destination which makes me think a lot of um, traffic in Sarasota these days. Um, I just I felt the blood pressure of the room go up. I don't even have to look. <laughs> it's it's kind of scary. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Sarasota is a beautiful place. If, if uh, I, don't, I believe I'm not the only one here that agrees with that. But it is probably the scariest place as well, like November through April, May-ish, because of a lot of visitors we get who will rename... Nameless, um, so we don't scare anybody away. But it gets a little scary um, driving on the road. There's so many different roadblocks and so many different... I can't believe i got to keep talking about this because my blood pressure is going up a little bit. Um, okay, so I'm just going to jump ahead. It paints a vivid picture for us. Here's a map of central Sarasota. You know, I-75 on the right, which says 93, but it's I-75. You got 41 on the left, which those two roads, for the most part, you pretty much avoid at all costs. Especially I-75, a little further north, out of the picture, next to University, where the uh, new mall is, which is a nightmare. Um, the mall is nice. Traffic's a nightmare. <laughs> and then 41, right there where it kind of does a little Y deal, it splits off to the waterfront, is where everyone forgets how to drive. Everything they've ever learned. And they've forgotten all manners and all like common decency. It's kind of where it all goes downhill right there. Amen. See you next time. For the most of us, we have a level of determination to get where we're going. Um, Some people on the road don't show a lot of determination to get where they're going. (laughs) Those are the ones that kind of drive us crazy sometimes. Uh, Some of us are, you know, really stressed out and we're stuck behind the guy who's had his left turn signal on since he left the house that morning. Um, which Jerry Seinfeld would call the eventual left turn. That's, that's popular here in Florida. <laughs> now my blood pressure is definitely going up. Uh, other drivers on the road can cause a lot of distractions and keep us from getting to our destination, not to mention pedestrians, red lights, red light cameras now, which are fun, uh, construction, speed limits, all these things keep us from our goal sometimes and get us frustrated on the, on the way there. Let's think of some scenarios. Let's say today, looking at this map, Um, Don't put the pins up yet. I didn't make a slide for this, but I'm going to Chick-fil-A on Fruitville Road Uh, after church. I want to get some lunch. What's the best way to go? You guys are all awake. Trick question. They're closed, which is awesome inside at the same time because I always want Chick-fil-A on Sundays. The rest of you need to wake up. Okay, um, let's say I want to go to Nancy's Barbecue. Who's been to Nancy's? Downtown. Nancy's Downtown. It is one of the best things ever ever, ever. Um, those of you who are awakened to know what I'm talking about also know that it's not open today, but I'm willing to shift the metaphor to tomorrow because it is that good. Nancy's is incredible. And uh, let's say I want to get lunch at Nancy's tomorrow. And Nancy, if you're listening to this for the record, I love you. <laughs> and uh, this publicity definitely deserves a free pulled pork sandwich. <laughs> Clay Barnett, call me. Okay, say we're starting here at Sarasota, five, or at uh, 360, 5250 Macintosh Road, and uh, Nancy's is way up there in the top left downtown. Automatically, I feel like some of you know exactly which way you'd go to get there. Here's what mine looks like. Mine's a little weird. Um, I avoid conflict, and I avoid traffic, and I avoid people as much as I can. Hopefully no one listens to that. Part of the podcast, out of context, is just traffic. I just don't like people in traffic. I like people otherwise. But I I go north on Macintosh. I go straight through Wilkinson when I I have the option to turn left because Wilkinson makes no sense to me. All the lights stay red for way too long, and they're red for no reason. Uh, So true, right? Amen. Thank you. Man, that frustrates me. I feel like there's people that can change that, but they don't really do anything about it. So I go past Beard because Beard is crazy. I go to Weber. Which is slow, but there's nobody there. And I know some of you are like, you're, you're an idiot. Why would you go down Weber? There's, okay, first of all, there's policemen to keep you accountable for speeding, which is what's really important in this life is accountability. So that's why I go down Weber. I'm just kidding. There's no people on Weber usually. Usually it's a pretty quick ride, even though the, uh, even though the speed limits are slow and there's still some lights. I take a ride on Tuttle because I avoid 41 like the plague because it is horrible as soon as you get down by the hospital and backed up. Further past that, like Clark Road, so I take a ride down Tuttle. I take you see the little squigglies on the top left there. That's a, a little now, known route through Paver Park, which is near the fairgrounds. It's get on Sidell, go down uh milmar pelican but eventually you have to get to ringling i can't avoid ringling altogether um ringling is frustrating at a certain point because it's like one way traffic or two you know only one way each direction and i always get stuck behind the dude going way too slow and i can't pass him or run him off the road so i avoid um i avoid ringling as much as i can and i eventually get there um get to where it opens up downtown and eventually nancy's sweet glorious beautiful amazing nancy's is on the left by the way, Bree likes Nancy, too, so this is, don't, you guys don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> I really want Nancy's now. I'm I'm not very resolute in even speaking this morning. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> these new routes, like finding these little back roads is so exciting to me. Um, I lead a very thrilling life, obviously. I just love like finding my way around uh, traffic and getting there first. And some of you are already like... Man, that's just a terrible way to go. You're like, I would have never done that, but it is what it is. Uh, there's along the way, no matter what way you go, there's going to be pedestrians, there's going to be stop signs, there's going to be speed limits, there's going to be red traffic light cameras that keep you from running red lights, or I'm trying to skip through the yellow. Light. <laughs> um, but it is what it is. Um, I- I've set my face like flint to Nancy, so I'll do whatever it takes. Jesus obviously was the—we'll come back to this. That wasn't random, I promise. Jesus was obviously the best example of someone who set his face like Flint, who's somebody who who was resolute in what he did and everything he did. He had a mission in mind, and there wasn't anything that was going to get in his way before it was accomplished. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to hang out this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles or your phone with airplane mode on or whatever, so you're not tempted to go on Snapchat, Instagram, MySpace, Facebook— MySpace. Some people are still in MySpace, kiddos. (laughs) Anyways, if you have your Bibles, please, please turn to Luke chapter 9. At this point in Scripture, Jesus has already done a lot of stuff. He's already preached a lot of messages. He's already performed a lot of miracles. He's calmed the sea. Um, Peter, James, and John have experienced the transfiguration on the mountain, which would have been mind-blowing and definitely way more than I can get into this morning. Uh, He's already calmed the sea. He's already fed 5,000 people. He's already uh, cured the the woman of her bleeding affliction that we talked about a couple weeks ago that no one else could heal. A lot's happened. To say the least, he's on the scene in a big way. He's now ready to enter Jerusalem, the center of the Hebrew world. We're going to read through this passage, and then we'll back up and unpack it a little bit. So, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We're going to come back to that verse a million times this morning, so get that stuck in your head. Verse 52, And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? We'll actually come back to that. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So Jesus is resolutely setting up for Jerusalem, which he knows is where he's going to receive his death sentence. But he knows he, the time is approaching for him to go back to heaven and to be with the Father. And Jerusalem is just one of those stops. But before he even gets to Jerusalem, he has to go through this Samaritan village. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set off for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. If you guys know anything about Jewish culture in this time, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. They actually went as far as they hated each other, much less would they want to lodge with you or have dinner with you, definitely not have a conversation with you. So when Jesus sends people ahead saying, hey, Jesus is coming, can we, you know, stay at your motel late or is there a free place we can stay? He wouldn't stay at motel late, by the way, because it's, actually, I think he would resolve. Do you guys want to talk about that? You think Jesus would stay at a motel late? <laughs> so I, I literally got distracted by that just now. All right, here we go. We can talk later. Um, but, you know, can he, can he stay here? He's on foot. He needs some some you know, nourish me, he needs to get some rest before he heads into Jerusalem. But the guys there had no, uh, wanted no business with him, no dealings with him. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans were different in the fact that Samaritans, years before, had inter- were Jews that had intermarried with other cultures. Uh, the Jews saw as, uh, you know, a, a very tainted bloodline, as somebody who weren't like the real legit deal, that they were, you know, they existed because, out of disobedience from God, and they just looked down on them. And the hatred was re- reciprocated back to the Jews. So when they said Jesus is coming, they know he's a devout Jewish man and, and of, of clean bloodlines. They don't want him coming through. But Jesus, whose destination is Jerusalem, needed to stop in the village to probably get nourishment and to get recharged for his his mission, the reason he was here. And they obviously didn't like him. They didn't want him there, and much less his, his mangy crew of smelly disciples coming through and <laughs> But we read in the verse of this passage, the first verse, Luke 9, 51, that Jesus had his eyes fixed on his destination. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Can we pull the the definition of resolute up one more time, Rob? Sorry, back at the very beginning. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem, firmly resolved or determined, set in purpose or opinion, characterized by firmness and determination as the temper, spirit, actions, etc. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I'll just leave that, verse, leave that verse up there for a second, sorry. He knew that he was the story advancer. We've been in this collection of, of talks, as Steve would say, uh, called Advance the Story, which uh, is, is a fancy way of saying, you know, we, we are part of this awesome, amazing story that we read in Scripture and that we've sang about this morning. We get to be in the middle of it as disciples of Christ. And uh, this this one i'm trying to fit right into this message series. So Hopefully it works out But jesus is trying to advance the story. He's the main character. He knows everything falls on him He knows the end of it the beginning the middle the end is all about him and his glorification So he set out resolutely for jerusalem he knew the time was approaching for him to be taken up to heaven, so he resolutely set for Jerusalem. He had resolve in every step he took. He knew Jerusalem would be the place that he got his death sentence, but he knew that's where he had to go. And let's go back to our traffic analogy. I do my best, like I said, to avoid traffic as much as I can. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. But sometimes US-41 is the best way to go, especially to get to Nancy. Sometimes it's good, even with all the traffic. So let's just say we're going this way. And I'm driving down US 41 reluctantly, but I know Nancy's is, 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 is my goal, is my destination, is the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful destination. Um, <laughs> US 41 is Jerusalem at this point. US 41 is, is something that represents a lot of conflict and a lot of people that aren't seeing things the way that I see it. Jerusalem represents something that it's just a huge, huge source of conflict for Jesus. But he knows he has to go through Jerusalem. He has to go to Jerusalem for the whole story to be advanced. He's been preaching things that have been making people angry. He's going to keep doing it because he's got a story to advance. And here's where I really want to camp out today, by the way. The big why is of utmost importance. Nancy's is of utmost importance. If you don't hear anything else today, know that Nancy's is the most important thing. <laughs> Jesus, his time was approaching to enter heaven. That was the most important thing that he would be there and it would bring glory to God. The what is important. You know, like I'm going to take a car to get there. The what is the vehicle. The what, like we talked about already this morning, is love God, love people, preach the gospel, and make disciples. That's important. The how is equally important. All three of them, neither one of them is more important than the other. They all bleed into each other and influence each other. And by the way, the rest of the vision book, the other 100-something pages that are here, are all about our how. So if you guys are curious how we fulfill the Great Commission, I encourage you to to pick that up and see what we're all about. It's equally important as the why and the what. So I discussed. I would go down back roads, all that other stuff. You know, avoid traffic, avoid conflict, but... For whatever reason, I'm gonna go down 41. I know it's where I need to go. So let's say my tires are low, because they often are. For, I don't know, I think I need new tires. <laughs> but, I want to stop at the shell station across from the hospital, which is located right here. Many of you know what I'm talking about. I go in, take all my caps off my tires, and uh, Why is that funny? (laughs) Because there are no calves in my tires because I need new tires. That's why it's funny. Um, (laughs) So I figure I might as well fill all my tires up because I'm paying for air, which is always frustrating me. But nonetheless, I put the four quarters in. I sit there and wait, and nothing happens. If anybody, you've been in that situation. You put your money into a broken machine that doesn't actually do anything. So I sit there. I kick it a couple times. I'm like, okay, let's get going. i got to get to Nancy's. I'm hungry. And uh, I look around. I'm like, what's the deal? There's a sign that I didn't see before. It says, out of order. Yet, yeah, it still took my quarters. So, are there things in life, by the way, sorry, this is me being resolute again. Are there things in life that, like, get under your skin a lot that are just like, I'm ready to, like, hurt something? Or <laughs> you feel that inside, whatever that translates as in the podcast. Like, it just curdles your blood in it or makes your blood boil like you're ready just to... Does it make you feel like this? This is a kind of an iconic movie scene I'm going to show you, where this is what you want to do. Ooh. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I need. Uh huh. Give it to me. That's what I need. Let's do that. Let's do exactly that. No, not again. Why does it say paper jam when there is no paper jam? I swear, one of these days, I I I just kick this out the window. You and me both, man. I think it's lucky I'm not armed. (laughs) So that's how I feel about this air pump right now. (laughs) I literally thought about bringing like a metal tank in here and started beating it to smithereens, but I feel like people would get scared and wouldn't come back. So that that represents how I feel against this air pump. Say that I jump into the back of my truck, and I start beating this thing mercilessly. And I'm calling down curses from heaven, and I'm like, God, please consume this thing and destroy it. That's not how I would swing it, by the way. That's pretty weak. But I would really put a lot into it. And I would try to destroy it and call down fire from heaven and consume it and make sure that it never, ever gets to throw anybody else off again. And then I proceed to get into my truck and just start driving into it until my truck literally catches on fire. And then I go and just... By this time, there's a crowd that's watching, and they're like... What in the world is going on? So I hit it one more time and drive away with my uh, Jesus is my co-pilot bumper sticker <laughs> and my 360 Unleashed t-shirt. <laughs> it's pretty nutty, right? It's pretty ridiculous, pretty extreme. But I just paid a dollar for air. I'm already frustrated. I took my quarters, and I still don't have air in my tires. I want to bring the apocalypse in on this machine. And uh, I think I did my job. At this point, I haven't even, I totally forgot about Nancy's because I just, I'm so mad at this machine. It sounds pretty nutty though, right? Let's go back to the Bible because we need to go back to the Bible after that. Luke 9, 51, same story. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked... Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And then Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. I just would like to say publicly, I am so grateful for scripture and the comfort it provides. Not like necessarily because the Lord is my shepherd, but because I'm like right up there with like the MVPs and like the pros. This is James and John who are acting like total idiots right now that are like, you want us to like kill this whole village because they wouldn't let you stay and get some, get some waffles or whatever. I thought of Waffle House as soon as I said Motel 8, sorry. There's um, super great ones called, but like it's pretty ridiculous, right? Are you guys not convinced that it's ridiculous? It is, right? Okay, if you're not convinced, Luke chapter 6, rewind three chapters. Before all the miracles, before the transfiguration, before the messages and the, the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. Uh, Jesus is coaching his apostles in one of the very first uh, times that he is addressing them. We read that there's a giant crowd that's surrounding him, but Jesus is focused in on his 12 that he's just selected. Luke 6, verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, go to verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil, because the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Verse 27, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, if someone slaps you on one cheek turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you and if anyone takes what belongs to you do not demand it back. Good luck with that one. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Luke 9:54 When the apostle when the disciples James and John saw this they asked, "Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them?" Can we just put those two verses together? It's, I mean, just read that. And There's not a lot of time, I don't think, between those, but I feel like Jesus was really fulfilling the top part in front of them, and that's still their response. I don't know. I find that very funny. This is only three chapters ago that Jesus said this, and James and John are ready to get their baseball, baseball bat out and kill the air tank to, hit the, to destroy the fax machine because of something like that. They want to obliterate an entire village. We're so fickle as humans, I I relate to this. I don't want to kill villages, but I do get angry over things that uh, should not make me angry. So easily we're distracted from our destination where we're supposed to be going. We have a story to advance, which, by the way, amen, coming up here in a second, is the best story that there is. Yeah, and we know the ending, which is a really good ending. Amen. Sorry. (laughs) It's going to be good. We can't belittle the way that we act along the journey. It speaks volumes, and people see it. In verse 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them, as he should have. Now, when I read that, Jesus turned and rebuked them. This is what I envision if I just read that in a... What's the idea? <laughs> Can you play that again, please? What's the idea? That's how I envision. It. One more. No, I'm just kidding. I'm good. That's how I envision it for whatever. If I just breeze through it and they go to the next town, he rebukes him and smacks him. But uh, what's kind of interesting? I've never. This is unprecedented, I believe. I've never been to a church that's read the footnotes. But I'm gonna, we're going to go to footnotes this morning. If you have your Bible this morning, is there a little tiny like B or A or a little asterisk or something that points you to the bottom of your page? There's another verse, another part of it, that uh, when they compiled the scripture that you have in your hands this morning, this wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. So there's a chance that it wasn't legitimate. Um, but what you find at the bottom of your page is very much in line with who Jesus was. So it, we're going to go ahead and read uh, the bottom footnote of, of that, if you've got it. This what would be verse 55 A and B. He rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went to another village. In other words, you're not advancing the story. This is something, people expect you to act this way. People expect humans to act this way. This isn't the story that Jesus came to advance. The story of Jesus is so awesome in a lot of ways, but because it's different than how we operate and different from how everybody else operates. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, he throws out the window. This is a way better story. Jesus rebukes them and reiterates what he's been living out every second of the ministry up to that point. James and John obviously forgot the destination. And they were distracted by destroying this village, the gas station air pump, the fax machine, instead of just driving next door to 7-Eleven and shaking it off. I'm also publicly grateful for Jesus' patience, just for the record. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm in the car right after church. I'm feeling good. After Steve preaches, not after I preach, but feeling good after. And I get in my car, and first thing on Ashton or McIntosh, I get stuck behind somebody going too slow. It's just a pet peeve. And everything I learned just went right out the window. (laughs) Anybody else relate to that? Yeah, good, okay, good. We're all in the same boat. Jesus, thank you for your patience this morning. Um, And I know what some of you might be thinking if you don't understand the story necessarily. It's not about being nice. I feel like I'm a nice guy. You know, even though what I've told you about traffic and stuff like that. But it's not about being nice. It's about showing grace when grace is undeserved. I'm sure all of you can remember, hopefully, as we're singing these songs and we're we're worshiping, you remember where you were. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We remember where we came from. And this is the story we're supposed to advance, to give grace to people that don't deserve it. This is a story worth advancing. This is a story that will change culture if we actually did it, by the way. Grace is the most important aspect of the entire thing that should be woven throughout our journey to the destination. I feel like when I preach here on Sundays, by the way, that I end up throwing out more questions than answers. I feel like the further I get along in my discipleship as a Christian, the less I know. So I'm passing that on to you this morning, and you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Welcome to 360, Happy New Year. Um, and all serious, and so the life of Jesus really seems a challenge of thinking of a lot of people. He makes a lot of people kind of throw their head on a tilt and, you know, really rethink things. He was in the business of, of just making people confused in a lot of ways, but it made so much sense at the same time when you live it out. He said things like, Rejoice in your persecution. Whoever doesn't hate his family can't follow me. If you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no life. All that stuff is like, okay, I need to read that again. Maybe I read it out of context. But he was in the business of making us think and making people think and changing paradigms. I feel like he's doing the same thing in in this passage in Luke 9. Why would you want to save your enemies? These guys just stopped you from going where you needed to go. Why would you want to rejoice in your persecution or when somebody hates you? That makes no sense when in reality this is what makes Jesus superior to any historical figure, any lifestyle, or any religion that you can throw out there. It's completely selfless and makes no sense at all. <laughs> People are amazed when they experience grace at times when they don't deserve it. Romans five eight is a very popular verse, and it's stuck in my head. Romans five eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that for the rest of your life. So Jesus resolutely set out in everything he did. His final destination was heaven, seated at the right hand of God. The Samaritan village and Jerusalem were just stops on the way there. Along the way, amazingly, he showed grace to everyone that he came in contact with. All the conflicts, all the gas station air pumps that were broken, all the fax machines that would paper jam for no reason, he still acted in grace and still acted in love. He was determined to advance the story of God and somehow still showed his love for others in the process. And we definitely need the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. And left to our own will, it's not going to happen. So everything that Jesus did in his life pointed to the end of the story when you look at what he was trying to accomplish it all made sense you know he didn't set new year's resolutions or set goals for the day he lived a life of resolve he had the big why in mind so this this morning the sunday before new year's eve look at your own resolutions if you have any the common resolutions i want to work out so i can get six pack abs right jordan nations that's right you're there already <laughs> um you know it's it's a uh, why? What part of the story are you advancing by that? Whose story are you advancing? Would be a question that Christ would ask. How about in 2015, I'm going to develop a new hobby or skill set. That one's always confused me. Like, do you have nothing to do? That <laughs> you have time to start a new hobby or a new whatever? Sorry if that's you. Are you bored? Um, starting next week, I'm going to spend more time in prayer. Great resolution, but what's your motivation? What's the resolve in that? Is it because... You know, we guilt trip from the stage and, you know, from, at, on church Sunday mornings we're, we're making you feel like you have to. While we're talking about guilt trips, by the way, I'm going to join an act group this next, this next year. <laughs> or I'm going to give more financially to my church. Why are you doing it? What's the purpose? For every resolution you have, it's so important to identify the resolve in it. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem because he knew the time was approaching for him to be glorified. By the way, Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave is a pretty awesome part of it, but it wasn't even the end of it. The end of the story was him ascending into heaven to be glorified. It it all falls all in in place, bringing glory to the Father. And that's the end of the story. In page four of the vision book, once again, you're designed specifically to glorify God by completing his work on earth. Now let's take some of those normal resolutions. I want to work out six-pack abs, all that other stuff. So I can properly take care of this temple that God has given me for his glory. Which, if any of you know me, I'm talking to myself. I want to spend more time in prayer so I can communicate with this creator that loves me. Not because I feel guilty that I didn't. I want to give him the time of day. I'm going to join an act group so I can pour my life into someone else. And maybe disciple them and make a disciple of Jesus like he asked us to do anyways. Which, by the way, we have tools for if this is your first time at 360. I'm going to give more financially to my local church so I can worship God through expressing my dependence on him and proving that it's not by my effort or my will that my life continues or I got all my stuff together to prove that I need God for every single step of the way, including financially. Here's a personal one for you, from, from me. I'm going to develop a new skill set, not a hobby skill set. So others can see how God is in the business of making his disciples more complete and more like Jesus. Recently, our staff, which is about seven, eight people, went through a very unique process with a friend of ours, Doug Pohl who I believe is here this morning. He's got a consulting firm uh, here in town that he runs, and he works with local companies and local organizations to help them operate better as a team. They use personality tests and all these different things to kind of figure out exactly who you are, and then they bring them all together to see how they complement each other, where your strengths are, uh, where your weaknesses, your potential weaknesses could be, and how you're supposed to communicate with each other. It was a very, uh, very cool process, by the way, um, and it is part of exchange, I believe. So if you get to the further parts of exchange, you actually get to that. And it's very cool. But um, I'll leave out a lot of the details and give you the results. This is a lot of work. Each one of these people represents one of our staff members. Um, <laughs> as far as you go to the left... Um, That's like a more methodical achievement drive. It's where you find your people that are a little bit slower at things, that need to think about things a little more, that think about details. And the more further you go to the right is where you find your typical type A personality. And there's a lot here this morning um, that I see. (laughs) Um, That's a compliment. We need you people. Um, If you go further down is the relational drive. That's where some people are more guarded. You need to kind of dig a little deeper to get down to their emotions and down to, you know, be able to communicate with them. It's a little bit harder. If you go up is the more expressive uh, where it's, there's like no problem. They're just like, here's my story. Who's who I am. I don't really care. Like this is, I'm giving you myself. So uh, just to skip to the end, where do you think old Clay is? Anybody? Not people that were there, by the way? I won't tell you where Steve is, even though you guys want to know. But Clay, yes, Aaron, you're correct. Top left or Jordan, top left. That's me, all the way on the top left corner, all by my lonesome, no one else, Mr. Counselor. And by the way, none of these are good or bad. These are just identifications. It's like, this is who you are. This is what you're good at, naturally, how God has wired you. So that's where I fall, all by myself. And by the way, the term, uh, if you're anywhere to the left or to the right, like if you're on an extreme, you're called a thoroughbred. So, <laughs> Brianne, congratulations. You're married to a thoroughbred. I think it's the first time anyone's ever, ever called me that. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Like I said, none of these places are, are bad or good. It's just identification. I'm literally on the 100% expressive, warm and fuzzy. I just, I want everybody to be happy. Let's just talk and hang out. And I'm on the 2% achievement drive, which a lot of you are like, oh, that's what's wrong. <laughs> that explains a lot. Uh, and all the Thai bays just burst a blood vessel in there. <laughs> So what does this mean? This means that I'm good at a lot of things. I'm good at being the last person to leave places because I don't mind. I, I really don't feel any kind of motivation to get anywhere. Uh, I, I, I want I'm more, it's not funny anymore. Um, I'm more interested in the person, like the individual person. I love that. I love getting to know people. And, you know, it, as you see up there, it says counselor. That's something that I've been kind of wired for. I love just getting to know people and, and helping them through things and just building relationships. But what it also means is that I'm scared to hurt people and tell them hard things. When it's that far out of balance, I want everybody to be happy. I don't want to disappoint anybody. Uh, And saying hard things is definitely a hard thing for me. So that means i got to stretch. The further you are to one side, the harder it is to stretch across. The 2% achievement drive, I think we all know what I need to do there. <laughs> in order to stretch a little closer to the center, which by the way, they did some like tests, some hypothetical tests, and Jesus would be right smack dab in the middle. So some of us, as you see, are a little bit closer to Jesus than the rest of us, but I'm a thoroughbred, so it's okay. <laughs> but it takes a lot of stretching for me to do things like that. And that's why we're passionate about discipleship here at 360. I'm so far to one side of the grid that it takes a ton of stretching and intentional effort for me to get things that are task-driven. I don't care, but I need to. There's a time you need to be. Being so high up in the relational drive means it's hard for me to be honest with people a lot of times and kind of skirt over issues. I don't want to hurt their feelings or make them feel unloved. So back to the resolutions. From my resolution, I'm making a resolution to have hard, honest conversations with people because that's a new skill set that's required to advance the story of God. I've some brothers and sisters in the room this morning that I've had hard conversations with and it's been so hard but awesome. And you might be thinking if you're one of those it wasn't that hard. You need to keep practicing. It was hard for me so. <laughs> it means that I got to work harder at setting deadlines so I can get stuff done for the kingdom and not just sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. If any of you again know this know me well enough this assessment is right on very eye-opening. But I want the big why to drive my resolutions. I don't want to just have hard conversations with people because I need to just tell them how I feel. I want it so we can become better people, so we can become more like Christ and more complete. I encourage you this morning, I'm actually kind of winding down a little bit. We're going to end with worship, kind of an introspective deal this morning. Let the big why drive your resolutions. Set your face like Flint, like Jesus did to do the work that God has called you to do. And along the way, no matter what road you take to get to Nancy's, to get to where you're going, don't forget to live a life of grace and love, just like Christ did. And Don't wait for Wednesday night to make a resolution. Christ is in the business of changing lives and making his church more complete. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read this book, not my book, but this book, the Bible. The entire thing, every hero in the story was ill-equipped, When God called him, for the most part. For the most part. And he made beautiful things out of dust. He's in the business of changing lives and making people more complete and making his church more complete. It's a constant uh, process, by the way, until we die. It's not going to end until we take our last breath. If you're a son or daughter in Christ this morning, if you know Jesus and you're part of his adopted family, you know the end of the story. We sang it this morning. And some of you are really excited about it this morning. I encourage you to take that excitement and that resolve, that end goal, that final destination, and let it drive everything you do. Let it drive the things that you want. If there's things that you want, like material things, ask why. How does this fit in to what Christ has for my life, to fulfilling this great commission and bringing glory to God? If there's a person in your life, how does this person help me glorify God? How am I bringing glory to God by being with this person? It's an awesome story with an awesome ending. And I hope my voice reflects it more than I think it does, but it really is. I'm not a very excitable person, Uh, but it is definitely exciting. For those of you who don't know the story that we're talking about, advancing the story, I'll just say, in a nutshell, it is the best story you'll ever hear. We sing about it this morning. It's a story that will change your life. And as we go into worship in a couple minutes, as we go into this time of introspection and prayer, I invite you just to pray in the best way you know how. And if you don't want to pray on your own, we'll have people back at the prayer room that would love to pray with you. The bottom line is that God created you, and he knows you. You're not an accident. You're not just here for no reason. God created you in his image, which is so much bigger than I can even unpack in this time. And that he came, Jesus came to restore the relationship that was broken when we sinned against him. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that we're still sinners. Christ died for us. And that we get to spend eternity with him. And our joy is being completely fulfilled and complete. So I I encourage you, don't leave this morning if you don't know that story. Or if you're not excited about that story, I encourage you to pray about that and ask that God would help you see the big picture of what it means and why you're doing what you do. Christ's life and ministry here on earth is a perfect image of what it means to be resolute. And I want to leave you with with a powerful verse. And it's a perfect summation of, of what we're talking about, of, of Christ's resolve, of what your New Year's resolutions should be driven by. Hebrews 12, very familiar to a lot of you. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, traffic, red lights, Broken air pumps, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart for the joy set before him because he had that destination in mind, that completion, glorifying God, and doing the work he had to do, he endured the cross I actually don 't have the verse up there, but hebrews eleven is, is nuts. If you guys are familiar with scripture, Hebrews 11 goes through this hall of faith. These people that lived out these lives that were amazing, that God called and did awesome things through. I'm just going to throw some out there for you. Some of the awesome things that they did. This is eleven thirty three. These people who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Those are all the good things that happened. But also, women who received back their dead raised to life again. You flip it on its head. Others were tortured and refused to be released, so they might gain a better resurrection. Let me read that again. Others were tortured and rele- refused to be released, so they might gain a better resurrection. They wanted to be with Christ so badly that they were willing to go to the death. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. Happy New Year. They were stoned. They were sawed into. Isaiah, by the way, was sawed into. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. There goes your prosperity gospel. We're out the window. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. You skip down to chapter twelve. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. These guys, this hall of faith in Jesus had such a way bigger picture in their mind. So as we go into this last few minutes of worship and last few minutes of prayer, I just encourage you right where you're at, um, if you want to go back to the prayer room with we'll people that are pray, but just in your own way, in your own mind, in your own heart, think about the things that you strive for, even if you don't call it a New Year's resolution, the things that you fight for. Where's the resolve? How does it fit in to what God wants for your life? So I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the resolve, Jesus, that you showed us on the cross. We thank you for the love you showed us on the cross and the fact that nothing was going to deter you. Nothing was going to pull you away from the destination. The famine, death, stormy seas... Brutal murders, mocking and torture. God, None of that kept Jesus from enduring the cross. And this morning we pray for the same resolve. We pray that the things that we strive for would honor you. And that we'd fit them into your plan. That when we decide how we want to get to that destination. God, that every single step of the way would be filled with you. That we'd remember the grace that you've shown us so infinitely and so beautifully. We give you this time, and we pray that you'd search our hearts. God, that we become more mature and complete, looking more like Jesus. We give this time, Holy Spirit, we pray you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.